This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117, with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 96 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded in part on Sunday, August 22nd, 2021. I'm your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we'll briefly discuss the decision by Halo Infinite's team to delay Forge Mode and Campaign Co-op to a later date, not launching with the game later this year. After that, I welcome the hosts of the Player One podcast, Phil Theobald, Greg Seward, and Chris Johnston, on to discuss a retro revival episode in which we'll discuss just how Microsoft and other companies can work to bring about game preservation and allow you to play older retro games in either remake or re-release form. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the game reverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness go to quite a few of you at this point who have reached out to offer me well wishes in starting the school year off right. Of course, at the time of this posting, this episode it will be going live on the exact same day that I welcome students back for what will be my 12th year of teaching. They will be entering into my classroom in a, a COVID world, of course, and I have a lot of apprehension about that. In fact, that is why this particular episode welcomes those gentlemen from Player One Podcast who recorded their episode Retro Revival with me a few weeks back at this point now. But it's a great episode. They are some of my gaming heroes, some of my gaming podcast heroes. Uh, I look up to them in the world of podcasting a great deal. And I wanted to talk to them about bringing retro games back by either via re-release, via remaster, or remake in, in an effort for game preservation and kind of all that encompasses bringing an older title to bear on modern consoles. And that's something that Microsoft and Xbox have done a great job with. Initially, I had planned for it to be its own standalone episode, but with the schedules and a bit of my apprehension going on, uh, I had made the decision to make it be episode 96, which I am really excited to share with you guys. I also, quite contrary to that though, could not just release episode 96 without addressing the Halo news. I had probably about 10 different people write in asking my thoughts on the Halo Infinite news. Uh, and so that's why you're getting this brief little interlude before we get to Phil, CJ, and Greg from Player One to talk about Retro Revival. For those of you who are not sure what it is I'm addressing or referring to, 343 Industries came out with a, a blog post and video uh, this past Friday, detailing a lot of the changes and whatnot that are, that are going on within Halo Infinite's development. Um, and it was a good update, meaty, meaty kind of section of, of news there. What was interesting and what stood out and what so many people are impassionately debating at this point. How do you like that for diplomacy? 
is the fact that 343 has stated at launch, Halo, contrary to all the previous launches, will not be featuring campaign co-op. In fact, that will come three months after release at the end of Season 1, and then three months after that, the Forge mode, which is the level creator, will be entering into Halo Infinite. And a lot of people got very distressed about this, and that's where so many of the people writing in uh, had impassioned thoughts, but also wanted to know my opinions on the topic. It is a shame that Halo Infinite will be launching without a feature that that many people consider to be core to the Halo experience, and that is campaign co-op. Forge mode is perhaps a bit more debatable. Uh, and I know it's a bummer for a lot of people out there that really were looking forward to uh, taking on Halo Infinite's campaign with a buddy or a group of friends. Uh, my heart goes out to you. By the same token, I do not think it's the end of the world. We've seen a lot of impressive work from that initial demo of Halo Infinite um, and then delaying it for a year into what we most recently saw this past uh, in, in the past month or so with the technical preview and a lot of the glow-ups and changes that we've seen take place. There's a lot to celebrate about that year delay in Halo Infinite and just what uh, improvements and changes have been made. I saw a lot of people uh, on Twitter debating how necessary campaign co-op is for a Halo experience at launch, and I empathize with with several perspectives that were portrayed there. I do not like using the word sides in this particular case because of the vitriol that that can create. Um, The data simply shows that most players of campaign, most players that are planning to check out the game in its campaign form, will do so solo. And roughly 5 to 7% of gamers will be doing so with a buddy. Now, I tend to play Halo Infinite, or I tend to play Halo campaigns, I should say, solo at first, and then upon completion, I'm willing to go in there with a friend. But I like to experience it myself, headphones on, nobody in a party with me, just experiencing the game. That's not the experience for everybody, though. Not everyone does that. Halo is a pillar franchise for so many people, and it offers a nostalgic take that campaign co op is a staple in their Halo experience. That said, I know that it must have been a very difficult decision for 343, and it certainly is a loss in terms of optics. It is not a good look to not, to be missing a core feature at launch. I would remind everybody that are, that are concerned about this that Grand Theft Auto V, Red Dead Redemption, and The Last of Us 2 have all been some of the best gaming experiences of their ilk, and yet they were missing core features at launch as well, including campaign multiplayer type experiences. So keep that in mind if you need a bit of comfort. Uh, I know it had to be difficult. The optics certainly are not good. That's probably why it came out in the evening time on a Friday. However, it looks to me that Microsoft and 343 believe the W outweighs the L. Outweighs the L, I should say. Uh, and they're thinking that the, the quality of Halo Infinite will outweigh the bad optics of this particular loss. Keep in mind the feature is coming. Keep in mind we know the people at 343 have been working for a long time. They had multiple management shifts before this most recent Joseph Staten-led experience is coming out. So if, you're, if you've seen people like calling for the heads of those in positions of power, I would remind you that that, that energy should perhaps be saved for... Uh, companies that are mistreating its employees, crunch culture, sexual harassment, some of the things that we've seen happening in the gaming industry, and maybe just to take a step back because Halo Infinite um, has had a troubled experience already and the changes have been made and that's why you're getting the experience that you are. 
Uh, plus, we've not played the game. I think it'll be more fair to critique a lot of these decisions once the game is out. All right, those are my very quick thoughts on the Halo Infinite news, and, and I felt compelled to include them in this episode. I also joined Miles Dompierre on Xbox Chatterdays, which you can find on all your podcast services, and we went into like a 45-minute discussion on this topic, and I think there's uh, some good logic to be had there, and I'm sure we'll also talk about it on Cast Co-op in a few weeks with Season Gaming's Ainsley Bowden and Joseph Moran from the Trophy Room. Guys, I am so excited for you to check out this Retro Revival episode. The Player One podcast is very special to me. I was introduced to it by Sean Capri of the Xbox Drive and about 38 other podcasts. And when I discovered these gentlemen, I found a a podcast that is kind of built on years and years of a gaming experience, but more importantly on friendship. And these three guys have been working in the gaming industry since their teens. Uh, I used to read their work in Electronic Gaming Monthly, all the time, and I didn't realize it when I was a kid. Um, we make a few jokes because they're older than me, but uh, really it was it was cool because they're veterans of this craft, and they still work in and around the gaming industry, and they bring a lot of that experience to their discussions. So to me, in many ways, they're, they're podcasting gaming heroes, and I want you guys to check them out. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. This one meant a lot to me, and for it to be episode 96 as I approach 100 really... Uh, means something to me you know I don't know what we're going to do for episode 100 uh, or just what experience that will be if we'll be able to have a special panel or not but I do know that uh, I've been trying to include voices that that make gaming better for me and player one does just that enjoy this episode of retro revival Uh, feel free to support the show share it out etc etc that's it for me everybody take care Welcome one, welcome all to a special episode of the Xbox Expansion Pass, where I am very fortunate to welcome the gentleman behind Player One Podcast, the the podcast that has been long running over 750 episodes to date. I believe it is 768. Phil Theobald, Chris Johnson, and Greg Stewart are joining me today. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for being here. Well, thank you. It's thank good you. to be here, Luke. Thank you for having us. I am uh, honored to have you guys. And I think once we uh, give people your backgrounds, they will realize just why you are the perfect gentleman to be joining me for this Retro Revival episode. This episode was recommended to me by a listener, Charles Jones, who asked me to do a special episode discussing retro games. And I think we'll all be painstakingly aware of just what the word retro entails uh, when we start looking he's back He's calling us old. <laughs> he's not wrong, though. He's, he's setting it up like it's a compliment, but it's a very, very hurtful insult. I feel insult. like I'm at work. Yeah. <laughs> Well, to that effect, uh, gents, I think it's important that we do hear your backgrounds, how long you guys have been doing Player One and what you've been doing in the gaming industry. CJ, you've been on the show before, uh, but if you could just give us a quick run back of, of how you've contributed to the gaming verse, as it were. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I uh, worked at a video game magazine Back when that was the thing in the mid '90s, called Electronic Gaming Monthly, worked there from '94 ish until 2004 ish. Well, yeah, till 2004. I, I I worked there during the summers in '94, and then started full time in '96. Uh, and then I did a small stint in an anime magazine, and then worked at Adult Swim Games for 11 years, and 
uh, got a lot of experience on the other side of the industry and uh, doing game production and producing. So that was a lot of fun. And uh, we started the Player One podcast in 2006, Oof. which was Dude, a long time ago, long, almost 15 years. Back when, back when Phil long. was in his early 30s. Oh, <laughs> Me man. too. I think I might have been... Yeah, I might have been 29 when we started. Wow. Show. <laughs> Look at that. Crazy to think about. But uh, but yeah, and so we've been doing this podcast, uh, the three of us, since about that time. That is, that is wild. And listeners, uh, you will remember CJ from episode 89 uh, from early July, uh, where he described getting into working at a video game magazine uh, as a 13-year-old or some ridiculous <laughs> thing. <laughs> Yeah, like but he was four, still six four. Yeah, fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> and then I I worked there during the summers at when I was like seventeen. I was seventeen Jeez. when I started. Yeah. The only the only difference between him then and now is that the beard is gray. That's it. That's yeah. probably he true. Exactly yeah. the same. <laughs> man, oh man, that's yeah. that's wild. That's not what the uh, doctor says. Uh oh. Well, yeah, I mentioned well, more whoa. more doctor visits of late. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and they're less comfortable. Is that what's Why does it always yeah. burn? <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. I have uh, arthritis where? Everywhere. I didn't even know that everywhere. was possible. Yeah. <laughs> Greg Seward, uh, tell us your background and, and how you contributed to the old gamerverse. Sure. Um I uh I was part of the sort of the fan, the big fan site thing that was happening in the mid nineties. Um, got my start at a, a site. Well, helped found a site called gaming age and, uh, parlayed that into a job at uh, expert gamer where I wrote poorly done, uh, guides, monthly guides in a magazine, uh, which then I got to graduate to EGM and, and, uh, met CJ. And I think Phil worked in the building at some point. I did. And, um, Yeah. And uh, after that, jumped into game development. I uh, worked at a few different places, Vicious Cycle, HP Studios, uh, Frontier Developments. And uh, in the meantime, started doing uh, Player One and also uh, a web series called Generation 16, which is about the history of the, uh, the Sega Genesis and sort of the peripheral uh, systems around it. Uh, Generation 16, one of my favorite sh- channels. I uh, absolutely thanks. adore it. Um, it is it's educational, it's hilarious, and it's wild to see just how games and their interfaces have changed which we'll talk about i'm sure uh, later on uh, in this one uh greg important though before we introduce phil jeff grubb wrote in with a question um asking you just why so many egm nhl reviews had detroit red, red wing uh screenshots what was that about i have no idea <laughs> um i don't remember if i took me if if i took the shot guaranteed if the pittsburgh penguins are in the shot. I took the shot. Uh, other than that, I'm guessing that um, one of the other, either Craig Kuyava, uh, Dean Hager, or mm, yeah, one of those two must be a Red Wings fan. It wouldn't have been mm, Todd Zaniga yeah. because he was a big St. Louis Blues fan. So yeah, that's all I can guess is that one of the other regular sports uh, reviewers was a was a Red Wings fan. Ah, okay. All right, Jeff. There you go. Now you know. Now you know. (laughs) Last but not least, the master of voices for player one, Phil Theobald. Tell us your background, my friend. Okay, first of all, I am last and least. I am a double trouble. Okay? (laughs) Here we are. Look at me. Misstepping right away. Let's let's not, let's not, you know, sell me short there. 240 pounds of freckled fun. Mm -hmm. Hey, (laughs) I'm down a few. 238 pounds of freckled fun. I'm, 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 I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Uh, 
Uh, I, I too, uh, got my start uh, at Ziff Davis on the EGM uh, back in, I believe, I think in 96. Yeah, 96. Yeah, it was 96. About the the same time CJ came on kind of full time. Yep. And yeah, over the years, uh, ended up at at Expert Gamer, uh, which begat Game Now. uh, And then what did I do? Uh, For a short while, I was over at Backbone Entertainment slash Foundation 9 slash Digital Eclipse slash whatever they're calling themselves this week. Uh, I was uh, producing some of those uh, those plug and play TV games. Do you remember those? Those little do. joysticks that have a, a handful of little games plugged into them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, worked at GameSpy. Remember that website? I worked at a lot of magazines and websites people don't remember anymore because they don't exist. But <laughs> GameSpy uh, was everything at one point. Game GameSpy. I I was there when GameSpy was not everything. So <laughs> <laughs> I was there after they got uh, bought up by IGN, and the, and we were the Phil's sickly little brother. Name is the closer. Yeah, the Widowmaker. <laughs> the Widowmaker. Uh, speaking of, I was at Nintendo Power. Thank you very much. So, yeah, for the uh, the, the, last, the last couple of years of uh, of that wonderful, wonderful magazine's uh, existence. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, currently I am at uh, a, a multimedia entertainment company. I'm technically not allowed to talk about my job okay. uh, on podcasts, but... Uh, we make video games and trading cards and cartoons. Digimon? And what's that? Digimon? Uh, you're close. MOBAs you're recently cl- or something like that? Uh, I, I I cannot say, but uh, you yeah. know what? I bet if you unite all your, uh, all, all your brain cells, you can probably uh, figure out uh, what is available now to play. <laughs> so <laughs> I was actually playing a little bit of that before the show. So there you go. Huh? That is awesome. It's funny, guys, because I've got this retro gaming idea in my mind of what retro games are. And quite painfully, uh, as Mm -hmm. we alluded to earlier in the show, that means that we're all reflecting on how far we've come, which means how old we are. Uh, Retro games? You mean like PS2? Oh, well, that's (laughs) kind of the problem. I'd love to have that debate. That very much is retro to many people. I was reading EGM while you guys were working there. I was 11. I was 11. Now, I teach middle school, and they tell me what they think retro is quite often, (laughs) which is all that much more putting things in perspective. So quite often, I'm stuck in this little in-between because to me, what retro is is not the industry's retro (laughs) and not at all what the youngins think of as retro. Uh, yeah, so I like that sort of ten year rule. I think Jeff Grubb came up with that or whatever, right? Yeah. Where if it's ten year, if it's older than ten years, then it's re- considered retro. Hmm. I yeah, like I that. I kind of look at sort of. I mean, that something similar for me. It's more like two generations ago. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think it's weird to call anything that's two generations old retro. The only thing I have a hard time with that one on Greg is Nintendo because they walk this weird line now. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, mm, that's fair. yeah. You know, like yeah, there was a I mean, time like, we would be Nintendo, though, would, know, would I mean, so. So would like we be retro then? Yeah. By, by Greg's definition. Yeah. OK, OK. Yeah, I guess it would. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite yeah, it's, retro it's game, Metroid Other M. Yeah, it's a relatively new console to us. Right. But it's quite old. Right. That's mm-hmm. true. That's true. For context, the 10 year rule that would bring us back to, uh, let's see, Elder Scrolls, uh, Skyrim. 
Star Wars Old Republic, Portal 2, Batman uh, Arkham oh, City, oh. Modern Warfare, and this one hurts, 3, <laughs> Modern Warfare 3, and Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword for the Wii. Yeah. That's well, 10 years ago. Well, that game just got a, a remake, so, you know, it's, it's perfect. Retro. It's yeah, old yeah. enough to have a remake yeah. now. Finally, to bring, bring these retro games to a modern system. <laughs> yeah. That's... I know, right? It, that no. was kind of the painful thing I went through as well because I can just like to me, that's not old. That's yesterday. So um, what's like what's like River Raid? If Portal Two is a retro game, what is River Raid? Retro, ancient history. Yeah, super retro. <laughs> super retro. <laughs> what year did that come out? Eighty, eighty-one. River Raid. Uh, Eighty-two. I'm 82. looking it up right now. Okay, look at that. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. forty years ago. Mm. Yeah. Is that Carol oh, Shaw? My God. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Oh man. That is few. 40 years ago. Yeah. Good. Oh my. One of the yeah. one of the few 2600 games that I can still play for more than 2 minutes and be entertained. And there're not many of those. Sort of typical no. uh, vertical yeah. shooter. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Games called No Footsteps. Mhm. It's what funny is... because I I purposely had up I have up YouTube and image search in the background for while we bring up these different games mm-hmm. because in one breath we'll talk about Arkham City being retro. <laughs> And then River Raid, and there really are 40 years of yeah. coverage, 30 years of difference between those two titles. That's just wild to me. Mm-hmm. It's just nuts. Yeah. When <sighs> when you guys think retro for your for player one, for your mindset, where do you go back to? What generation does, first comes to your mind? In, I always... In, oh, sorry. go ahead, Greg. Go ahead. I always, I always go to, uh, really, to the NES... And, and I think the 16-bit era as well. Like for me, that's the sweet spot. Um, I was playing games before the NES. We had a 2600, and, and you know, my cousin had a, a ColecoVision. Um, and I really enjoyed games then too. But the NES was where I really sort of fell in love. And so I, I when I think retro, my mind immediately goes there. And I actually heard. I think it might have been. I'm not sure where it was. It it might. It was some other YouTube channel. But somebody said this, and I thought it was brilliant. We have the sort of you'll have debates over like the golden age of different types of media. And Mm -hmm. there's a great I don't know if it was his or he quoted it, but there's sort of a great saying where it's like the golden age is 12. And what that means is the golden age is different for everybody. But when Mm -hmm. you're around when you were around 12 years old, that happened. That tends to be Mm -hmm. your golden age of whatever you're passionate about. I think that's really true. And that that puts me right square in the NES era. So I think there's some there's definitely some truth to that. But that's definitely where my mind goes. Yeah, with uh, retro, when I when I hear retro games, my mind immediately just goes to eight and sixteen bit. Mm. You know, pre yeah. pre three D. What we grew uh, up on, pre polygon yeah. type graphics. Yeah, I think it's easy to do that because yeah, that's what we grew up on. But for me, I look at it a little bit differently in terms of like gameplay, game control, game interfaces, online play cross progression cross play like the when things are missing those sort of modern conveniences <laughs> and uh and benefits i start to look at those as retro um my daughter watches a streamer who started playing fable 2 on his stream and she wanted to play it so we loaded it up and it's like oh my god the interface is just <laughs> terrible and this te- this font is awful and the uh, button prompts are huge. Like the button glyphs on the screen are just like, oh my gosh, could they make this <laughs> interface any larger? And it's like, to me, that stuff starts to look aged 
mm-hmm. itself. Like I, I do look at retro as the, the games I grew up on, but there's a lot of like very clunky interface things <laughs> from 10 years ago. <laughs> there, There's a, a premise to a lot of this conversation of remakes, remasters, or just re-releases and where their place is. And the, the angle on the conversation I often think about, and I told you guys prior to recording, is that Xbox is doing a lot with back compat and forward compat, more so than perhaps Nintendo and Sony are, which I think is a shame because Sony and Nintendo have the better IP for longstanding mm-hmm. legacy, I would say. But when you talk about those interfaces, my mind jumps to what was called a remaster, but really was a re-release of Kingdoms of Amalur. Not, not less than a year ago, uh, Asper Media put out kingdoms of Amalur, and they did nothing to improve the interface and going back to even an xbox 360 title that was a wonderful rpg in its time was very difficult for me very difficult uh and it spoke to even games like breath of the wild and the witcher which just changed how interfacing works well i think we've and we've really seen in the last decade or maybe a little more um people starting to understand that there's a real science behind user interface and, mm-hmm. and user experience to the point that you have specialists in those fields that are, you know, that, that that's their only job at a lot of the, especially AAA studios. That's, I mean, in, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's a relatively new thing, but it's definitely born fruit in the last decade. Like, the, you know, things are so much more, they're so much better designed from a user experience standpoint now than they ever were in the history of games. But you also have way yeah. more to deal with. You know, back in the day, you pressed start to play and that was it. <laughs> you know? Yep. So. Yeah. Well, there were people still on CRT televisions and, yeah. uh, you know, that impacts the interface and where you can place things a lot as well. Yeah. Remember that rough patch with when the 360 came out? What was it? Dead Rising? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the the text was so small. Mm-hmm. If you were playing on a, a you know a mid sized CRT, yeah, mm-hmm. it was really hard to read if you weren't <laughs> sitting close up to it. it. The Xbox 360 also had that that switch on the the AV cables mm-hmm. that you could flip between standard and HD or oh. uh, in high definition. And I remember plugging in. This is how in the zone I was as a as a kid or college kid, plugging it in. And it was on SD on a, a very early HD flat screen TV. This thing was hideous, right? It was terrible, but I loved it. And I was trying to convince myself that Ace Combat looked good. And I just couldn't get, I was like, I don't get it. it does not, this does not look good. I, I'm, I'm so excited about Ace Combat and it doesn't look good. <laughs> My friend just leaned back and just flicked the switch, went black, came back, and it was a whole different game. Completely different. Shane <laughs> yeah. uh, blew my mind. Uh, and, you know, I think, Phil, you're kind of going through that a little bit now with, with your your new displays. And that changes uh, the oh, way yeah. we, we see games as well. Yeah, absolutely. I suddenly have a, a much, uh, much larger interface. <laughs> One of the things that's funny when you look at like older games, I'm looking at like right now I'm looking at footage of uh, it's Wolfenstein 3D. Yeah. And on my flat screen OLED tablet. <laughs> it's it's so obvious where things don't look good, yeah. but cream of the crop in and of its time. And uh, I think also back to games like uh, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, which was oh. just oh. one of my gems. I, lo- I mm-hmm. played that game for hours on end, and now I'm spoiled with Star Wars Squadrons. And I'm like, yeah. oh, is it the same thing? Is it the yeah. same thing? I don't know. Visuals are just a weird thing like that. 
yeah, we're we're spoiled. Now. Yeah, yeah, it's Big time. Yeah, the the this just the the lighting effects that you can see on the uh, the OLEDs and everything. It's just oh, it's beautiful. But it's those, I guess, especially if you have memories of them, you're talking about looking at Wolfenstein 3D. That has a certain charm to it. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't I don't think you could ever argue that it looks amazing. It definitely did back then, Mm -hmm. but it still has it has a very, you know, games, 3D corridor games from that era have a very sort of specific look. Oh, yeah. That you kind of either love or hate. But if you love it, you really love it. You know, Mm -hmm. there's just something about it. And again, there are, I think it's probably nostalgia based, but there are but there are games of that ilk from back in that time that that looked terrible True. even back then. You know, I yeah. mean, for as good as like Wolfenstein 3D or or Doom 1 and 2 or Hexen looked. I love Hexen. Oh, I know. Right. Hexen was the the because there was Hexen and Heretic was the sequel. I think so. Am, am I flipping those? I think I, Hexen I was remember, the first one. But, yeah. but uh, you know, those looked beautiful but then there were so many kind of like we're trying to do a quick cash in type game and and you could tell that they just didn't spend the time to make it look as nice as the stuff we were seeing from but you know. back then too i mean that sort of it it almost felt felt then as well that that was sort of the dawn of um being able to use other people's engines Mm-hmm. for your own games um yeah. you know where i don't know that that was ne- that we necessarily knew that's what was happening but you know like um what was it that 3d realms had for duke nukem was it the build engine i think so yeah but anyway yeah like a bunch of games like i think redneck rampage was a build engine game like oh, there were a bunch right, of games right. that were build engine games and they clearly were you know they they looked like they'd been wrapped in new graphics but it was duke nukem it was yeah. a Duke Nukem game you were playing, and I, I don't know if it did the same thing, but it seemed like it was that was sort of thing was starting to proliferate now. And obviously, that's you know a huge part of the industry nowadays. But back then, everyone created everything from scratch. Right. You, you know, think uh, Epic should re retitle the Unreal Engine the Fortnite Engine? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to let people who were born after yeah. 2005 <laughs> realize that it's named after a game. <laughs> there have been a lot of conversations about Epic uh, while this, this, at the moment, the Halo Infinite flights are going out and mm-hmm. bot matches are the only ones that are active and people are equating it to the bot matches of Unreal way back in the day. <laughs> and when you think about Unreal, which I played on my Dreamcast mm-hmm. uh, way back yep. when, all the way to where we're seeing now with PlayStation 5 and, and uh, Series S and X getting Unreal Engine 5 uh, type stuff coming through. That's a, It's a wild thing to think that people coded down to the pixel way back when, and now they're using engines to make things yeah. happen. Hmm. Yeah. One of the premises of this is game preservation. And I want to go back to that topic because I think it's one ripe for controversy but at the same time, it's very cut and dry in many cases. And how important is it to preserve games? There are millions of games out there at this point. Some of them, those throwaway cash-in titles. Others that took hours upon hours of development time, whether they hit critically or not. Uh, when the topic of game preservation comes to your mind and you think back to your legacies, uh, what activates for you? Is it, is it an important thing? Something that's just part of it? And you're going to lose stuff along the way. Where do you guys stand on that one? CJ, I start with you if you don't mind. I think it's hugely important because um, 
for every game, like especially I look at game preservation uh, in a couple of different ways. I mean, console games that were released retail, I think, have a better chance of being preserved. Games that were on the web in the mid 2000s have a lower chance of being preserved. Games that were on mobile right as the App Store came around are almost completely lost to time, right? Not only because the source code of those games is gone, but because the operating system that we have now won't run them. So to me, like there are going to be players who grew up during that time and played a lot of those games either on the web or on mobile phones because they were free or cheap and they won't be able to reminisce like we are able to reminisce about eight and 16 bit games because those games just won't exist anymore. And the companies that made them, it may not even be clear who owns the rights to any of that stuff. So I'm, I'm worried about it from that in that respect. Like I think the games that came out on, and I, I feel that way about digital only games too, Hmm. where, are a lot of those titles going to be forgotten? A lot of those DSiWare or WiiWare games that were so strange, are those just never going to be brought forward? Like it's a it's a real it's a real concern. Greg or Phil? Um, I think CJ makes a really good point, and I hadn't really thought about it that way. But I think of my kids, um, and you know they're into video games, but kind of what CJ was saying, mobile games, I mean, I already feel that now. There are certain mobile games that I, I'm not a big mobile gamer anymore, but I was when I first got my iPhone. And there are some games that I have wonderful memories of that I would love mm-hmm. to pick up and play again. Um, like, uh, as an example, and I'm not just saying this because CJ is here, but Robot Unicorn <laughs> Attack, the, the first one, I really, there's just something, you know, there's something yeah. about that. And it absolutely has everything to do with how it made you feel at the time, which is the reason that I have so many uh old games anyway but you know the way that i feel about it is like if i want to go play um gargoyle's quest because i loved that game when i was 12 uh i can do that i can pop that into the system that i have because i still have the game and it's an, and it's exactly as i remember it yeah. nowadays if if my daughter wants to do something similar with a game that she played when she was 12 if she even can because most of it's digital the other thing i think there is that is a big shame is Fortnite is an example. You can't play Fortnite like it was when it came out now. Mm-hmm. Like it's right. been iterated upon so much for the good. Um, that's how they keep it interesting and keep it a good service. But I mean, you know, it's there and it's gone. It's very, it's very much, you know, uh, live in the moment because it's, it's going to pass and you're never going to experience it again, which I think is a real shame. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, game preservation, I think is extremely important uh for a lot of different reasons i think that's a huge one that i'd never thought about until what cj just said um but also i do like the fact that a lot of uh people a lot of groups are pulling together old code i don't know that any of that's ever going to get used again Mm -hmm. but i like that it exists as a as uh research materials um because i think there are a lot of people doing a lot of really interesting and important work in the history of the industry and mm-hmm. being able to draw on this stuff and have big collections of this stuff that you can sift through and, and you know, it's it's so important and so useful because yeah. even the smallest 
low level, low budget game from 30 years ago could have a really interesting story attached to it. Who, who knows what it informed and, and who knows what the team learned or what problems they overcame. And it could make for really interesting history. Yeah. That's like, it's like film preservation. You know, there yeah. are so many movies and TV shows from decades ago uh, that are, that are just gone, just lost media. You know, there are whole, whole feature films that just do not exist anymore. They're, you know, the hundreds and if not thousands of episodes of various TV shows that have just been wiped over to, to reuse the tapes or something like that. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, and, and people look at that and, and, you know, nowadays we're just like, Oh, you know, wow. What a shame that, that there's just, there's, you know, unless we get very lucky that someone stumbles across a reel that's been shoved in the back of someone's closet for the past 50 years where there, no one's ever going to see this stuff again. Mm -hmm. And, everyone kind of shakes their head and goes, Oh, what a shame. What a shame. But then yeah, you have kind of the same sort of thing happening with games and just no one's, you know, seems to be doing enough to, to ensure that, that all these games are, are not going to just disappear forever. You know, like, like the other guys were saying, you know, there are a bunch of great iPhone games, you know, and again, like Greg, I don't really play mobile games much anymore, but, yeah, there's a there's a bunch of uh, really cool old games that I can't go back to because they are they have disappeared into the digital ether. If you wanted to experience Flappy Bird, <laughs> sorry, you can't. Yeah. It's gone. I mean, you consider how culturally significant that game was. You know, sure, I mean, yeah, it is funny to think about, but it but it was, was huge. It was a Absolutely. it was a very very big, very big deal. Yeah. Yeah, we we were right. at a Dave and Buster's a few weeks ago. My buddies uh, Kevin Charles and I we were at, at Dave and Buster's. There's a Flappy Bird. It's either Flappy Bird or the closest approximation you can get without being sued. <laughs> arcade yeah. game, yeah. 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 And it's it's nuts to me because ninety percent of the people playing that have no idea where right, that game right. is. Yeah. And, and my buddy Kevin wrote in to the show, and and uh, he and I were both thinking when we played the Rampage arcade game, which was the the movie version of the characters, but it was the old Rampage game <laughs> oh, at a Dave geez. and Buster's as an arcade game. It was it was a little surreal because I loved the OG Rampage. <laughs> right, I want that game so badly. There's nowhere to play it digitally that I can find on a storefront at the moment, unless I'm wrong. Of I of am. the of the old Rampage, mm -hmm. or you're in luck. Oh, just oh, you're in, it, like the like the original Rampage. Yes, I'm assuming. You have Xbox Gold? I do. Games with Gold right now has the Midway Arcade Origins. I literally was playing the original Arcade Rampage about an hour before we started recording tonight. You're kidding me. See, <laughs> no. this this is the best. I did not <laughs> even know. So I didn't even know it was in there. Yeah, well, it, it just got added, um, you know, maybe like a week or so ago. But yeah, that's, mm -hmm. it's... Yeah, I think it's Mid Midway Arcade Origins. It has yep. what like twenty or thirty old Midway games. It's got like and Xenophobe, APB, Robotron, and well, I'm so happy yes, right indeed. now. Yes, indeed, <laughs> you so will happy. be you will be playing Rampage later this evening. This I is exciting. You. Yeah, <laughs> this is exciting. Yeah. But well, I'm th so the wild thing is half the people playing that at the arcade do not understand. Oh yeah, where that game is from. <laughs> what it is or what, what it means to anybody. So, so they, that game's they, old for us. Oh yeah, that's true. 
but they so they they did a new version of it with like from the the like the character designs from the rock movie yes the Dwayne the rock johnson's yeah, film yeah. yes which, they which i saw theatrically there. thank you very much oh my <laughs> goodness uh, uh yeah and, and there are a bunch hilarious. of arcade games like that like just bigger versions of pac-man oh Large yeah, yeah versions and takes on, on space invaders yeah i've, I've seen oh, yeah, yeah i've, I've, I've played yeah. played the giant pac-man yeah 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 i did I, see they did a uh it was a it, raw thrills is that that company that's still mm-hmm. kind of pumping out arcade games yeah uh it was them or one of those companies did a new ninja new few years old at this point but a, a ninja turtles arcade game that played kind of like the old konami one but it really? used uh characters from the 2012 i want to say mm-hmm. uh cg cartoon that was on nickelodeon okay so, i'm looking yeah. it up right now yeah. yeah yeah those that that tmnt game we got written in uh, several times charles jones and several others wrote in about that tmnt game turtles in time uh, and then the old arcade one, which I loved. I know there was an Xbox 360 oh, yeah. arcade version of it. And then a remaster of it. Yeah. Uh, the reshelled edition yeah, or whatever. Oh, yeah. God, reshelled. Yeah. Yep. 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 It, it, it could have been better, but I played the heck out of it. <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> and Raw Thrills, a good arcade company, by the way. They, they made some good uh, arcade stuff. They made the... They made the Halo Halo game that's oh, is just a really good Halo arcade game. I'm not saying that as a fanboy. It's a genuinely good game, Fire Team mm. Raven. Um, but I will guiltily admit to being a fanboy for sure. <laughs> but, you know, as people play through, you know, these different games where they don't know the histories, and then you're able to bring up Midway Collection to me, I'm thinking <laughs> back to all the collections of retro games Oh yeah, that have hidden gens in them all the way up to the, the current collections that exist from like Master Chief Collection, where you can press a button and see the old dated graphics versus the new and updated I ones. Love that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. It's a brilliant feature, a brilliant one. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> and even not to play it using those graphics, I don't know anybody who would really <laughs> sit there and play it using the old graphics. But I know as someone, you know, who experienced that um when it came out and was really crazy about that, I love being able to just swap back once in a while just to go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, and it was the same thing with like uh, Dragon's Trap when mm-hmm. Dragon's Trap came out. And I mean, it looked absolutely gorgeous. But like being able to swap to the old Master System graphics again, I did it a lot. I didn't play in those graphics, but right. I did it a lot just to see. I wonder what this looked like then and really what they've done to how, they, how they've interpreted it. Yeah, uh, with you know, with something that can look so much nicer. So that's such a wonderful feature. I'm I'm so glad to see that stuff happening. Yeah, yeah. You have to wonder how far we are away from it happening again with some of those games that do have those flashback <laughs> graphics. Because I mean, Sony's releasing Last of Us One again, remastered again, or Super oh, Remastered. Yeah. They're doing that. Um, but if Master Chief Collection, as the example, or Dragon's Trap Wonder Boy gets the, gets the upgrade now. What does it look like when they upgrade it again 10 years from now or 15 or whatever it is? And sure. then do you get the, the, the in-between modes there? Hmm. That's a funny way to think of it, right? <laughs> 12 button presses in to see what the oldest one looks yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> but nostalgic for the 12-year-old at the time. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Man. Maybe you just need to, maybe like they just give you an age setting in the yeah. options. <laughs> so that's what it goes to when you press the nostalgia button. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
They need age settings for how busy you are in life, too. Yeah. Are you real busy? Here's a refresher what to do. Yeah. Oh, what yeah. about the oh, different God, versions yeah. of Mario? So Super Mario Brothers, then the All-Stars version, then the Game Boy Advance version, then the Game Boy <laughs> Color version. Like, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. That my, that was one of the first collections that I think I ever played was that All-Stars collection. That was so I was good. so hyped for that release. So character. into All-Stars. Oh, yeah. Great. Genesis. listeners you can't see it but behind greg right now is this brilliantly beautifully lit uh case with with all the sega consoles and and their attachments that is a in and of itself a unique uh thing a concept to think about when game preservation the attachments of something and i envision in my my grand world where i can have jeff bezos money i don't go to space (laughs) instead i build a video game museum where you yeah. go from room to room and get to play like mm. different hardware uh, <laughs> preserved that way. That stuff, those Sega <laughs> things, man, those are nuts. And you know, it's a good, that's a good point to bring up too, because you're talking about old hardware, um, man, a lot of that stuff's failing now. Mm-hmm. Oh and yeah. Anything that has an optical drive in it is, it was not built to last. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's another part of the, the gaming industry's history. That's definitely disappearing quickly. Yeah. Um, and when you get into the really rare stuff, you know, when there weren't that many of them out there to begin with and and uh, you have to pay exorbitant prices for them. It's it's who knows how many, you know, uh, laser actives as an example, how many of those are sitting on a shelf somewhere as a display unit yeah. that don't work anymore and will never work again because no one's ever going to take the time to make sure that they work, right. you know, or get them fixed. Mm-hmm. There, there can be something said for the like digitizing the ROMs and whatnot and having, mm-hmm. you know, like faux controllers to play them. But some of those will never be the same because of the displays they would use CRTVs or yeah. God forbid, virtual mm-hmm. boys, things like that as well. Yeah. And I, I think we, CJ, I think touched on this, but that's a really good point too, is that in Phil and I, we talk about this a lot. I think on our show, Mega Man powered up is the one we always bring up, oh, but you're, you, the other issue that we have now, especially with digital games, is a lot of this stuff is locked to a console that mm-hmm. if, unfortunately, if you never downloaded it, yeah, it just doesn't exist anymore. Like, I'm thinking about, like, the Konami Rebirth series on the Wii. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, great games. Oh, yeah. That nobody can play now unless you happen to have a Wii that has them on there because I don't yep. believe it's possible to download them again. No. You know, like, that's... A crying shame. And also talking about hardware, like I, when we were getting ready to do this episode, I was thinking about just arcade games in general and the experience of those arcade games. Again, because the machinery is so big and hard to move around, falls apart, hasn't been taken care of. You're just not going to get those experiences again. You know, it's a, it's that I think that's a huge part of the um, hardware is a huge part of game preservation that I don't know that we're not doing enough about or that enough can't be done because mm. it's just so expensive and hard to do. Yeah. Who takes well, on that job, you know? Like who, who also, could do it? There's also <laughs> the the question of whether game companies preserved their own code yeah. or not. Not usually. Yeah. Not usually. And you have situations like with Sega and Panzer Dragoon Saga where yeah, of course everybody wants a remaster of that, but they don't even have they don't have the source code for that hmm. game anymore. So I they think can't. they found it. Did they find it? Somebody when I said that on our our podcast recently, somebody said that they I think someone found, found it. 
Really? Wow. But again, right now, as of now, another amazing game that's highly sought after that you can only play on one console. Yeah. Yeah. And those consoles code, are falling apart. How does code get lost? I'm being serious. I know it sounds like a, a flippant question, but how does that happen? You throw away the hard drives. Yeah. <laughs> or it's on a, it's on an, a disc that, you know, whether that team is there or the people know what's on it to save it. Yeah. Uh, before it gets tossed aside. I mean, that's really the uh, the the issue. And now, especially with servers, you know, things aren't even like top of mind for for people. If there's turnover at a company, like if the original programmers aren't there anymore, they may not even know what code name, whatever oh, the yeah. heck was. And they just toss it aside like you'll see or you used to see occasionally like people finding roms in garage sales or like source code on three and a half floppies but i think that's i i that's gonna be less and less of an occurrence uh because you know when we moved from discs to to servers and uh hard drives it just didn't you know things got wiped Mm -hmm. i think again and I think we saw there was a tweet about this, and I'm sorry I don't have it in front of me. Um, somebody asking about or saying that every company should have an historian that's it's their job <laughs> to make sure that this old stuff still exists. But I mean, you got to remember at the end of the day, these companies aren't there to preserve history, they're there to no. make a profit, you know. Right. And I mean, you might hang on to nowadays, you might hang on to source code because you're expected to keep that game alive through updates and patches for a yep. few years, but when it's not needed anymore. Yeah, it might sit on a server somewhere, but you know, if you if you merge or you're sold or you close down, that stuff's usually gone. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you has the forethought to take it with them. An example of that is, you know, Adult Swim Games. I worked there for eleven years. Worked on twenty five plus mobile titles. Only one of those is in in any store that people Mm. can download and play. And the Flash games that I worked on. Yeah, aren't live anymore because oh, yeah. Flash got deprecated, obviously. But uh, you know, the source for all that stuff is lost to the wind; like it's gone. So it's that platform locking is is the term that I'm using. But I was thinking console specific, you know, like hardware. Uh, it's kind of to Greg's point earlier about optical drives failing and whatnot. But control schemes can lock people out as well. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the Wii comes to mind first on this one, and I'm thinking about WiiWare games. Not even like like the code's not on a disc anywhere. I have two WiiWare games that I just adored. Uh, one of them being Lost Winds, which I think got an oh. iOS one. I loved Lost Winds. Um, no way to play that. No way to play mm. that right now um, in its original form because of, of hardware. But uh, I guess I, what I want to ask for you guys is is what games are locked by hardware in your mind that you think are deserving of us, us reflecting on? And then I have a follow-up question on that one as well. Light gun games. Light gun games. It's one of the main reasons I put a CRT in my, my game. Yeah. And I was playing virtual cop two last week and it was everything I dreamed it could be. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they just, they, the, the fact that, that there are no light guns, quote unquote, for modern systems it's just they they just flat out don't work on modern day tvs mm-hmm. so yeah you got to keep a 20 year old television yeah that is huge and bulky and heavy 
you know, taking up a corner of a room somewhere if you want to play Time Crisis or Point Blank anymore. And again, if that and, thing's break down, you bet that thing breaks oh, down. Yeah. You better hope you got a guy. <laughs> oh yeah, because <laughs> uh, you're not just calling the local repair shop anymore. You know. Yeah. Uh, music games also. Yeah. And I'm not only talking plastic guitar, rock band, uh, Guitar Hero stuff, but Samba de Amigo mm-hmm. and Dance Dance Revolution and Beat Mania and Guitar Freaks and like all of those sort of music games that required an extra peripheral to play. Yeah. Often, if you don't have that peripheral, you're completely out of luck. You can't play any of that stuff again. Well, music games have the the extra hurdle of having a zillion different licenses as and well that too. is preventing them from yeah. Beatles rock band being a great example of that where it's trapped on that generation yeah. because of music licensing you have to play it on PS3 360 or the Wii yep and i mean coming a bit further forward than that but i think in general pretty much the entire Wii U library yeah um, because you know anything that really required that second screen or required the touch input oh. of that second screen yeah i mean you can replicate it and i think there were a couple uh, well, maybe there weren't no i don't actually I don't know that there were but either way you could but it would be a lot of work it wouldn't yeah. just be you know get yeah. a rom up and running on an emulator and then port that to a system and release it like it's there's way more to it than that right and kind of along the same lines with with ds and 3ds mm-hmm. games as well i mean you know that's the one i was thinking i think a couple of those actually came to the virtual console service mm. on the wii u but again it's something you have to stop and put some thought into it's not mm. as simple as just pushing it out there so yeah. a lot of games locked on those three consoles yeah that's a good point the 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 experiments that nintendo does have a really heavy industry impact but preserving some of that content is really difficult to do. I mean, we see al- almost every successful Wii U game is coming to Switch, but it not necessarily in its original form due to that second screen. Mm-hmm. And all those DS games are soon going to be very nostalgic for a lot of people, and they won't be the same experiences. And that's yep. that's weird. I mean, I remember that first Brick DS, that first Brick oh, yeah, DS yeah. that came out. I, I, I loved that thing, and it was awful by comparison to the <laughs> DS Lite. And then the various iterations that it goes through, those experiences are gone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, that's wild. The other hardware element to this that I think would be really interesting to hear you guys talk about is, is when you were put into a position where you had a game that was of the same name, perhaps the same developer, because sometimes that, that would happen differently. Like you'd have a Genesis version, a Super Nintendo version, very different game. But on two systems like say the dreamcast and ps2 or the n64 and the playstation where their input interface was so different the controllers were so different on nintendo 64 to a playstation or to a a saturn at the time that had to be a weird thing to to kind of deal with in industry or not yeah i mean (laughs) (laughs) i mean i i wasn't really in the in the media or anything when like the Saturn and PlayStation were a going mm. concern. But I remember as a player, there were definitely a few times here and there where those four shoulder buttons came into, came into play mm. where, you know, and also on the flip side, uh, always, always, always would play 2d fighters, Capcom 2d fighters and S and K, but mostly Capcom on the Saturn because of that six button layout, right? Mm-hmm. Like those were definitely a thing. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, between the PlayStation and the N64, yeah, I'm sure there were a fair amount of games early on before the DualShock or the analog came out for the PlayStation that controlled a lot differently on the N64 because of that analog controller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That ugly, terrible, three-pronged <laughs> monstrosity. <laughs> It would Ugh. leak powder all over the place. But they didn't know how to do analog control for console <laughs> games at the time. Right. It was too early for that. Ugh. That yeah. was a weird controller, though. That 64 controller. I loved it, oh, but it was yeah, bad, right? It was, it, yeah. was, it, was a, it was an odd choice. Not great. Yeah. It was no. revolutionary, but yeah, it was, it was awful. <laughs> do you, when, uh, go back for me to the N64 for a minute, because I think that was the first time we saw Nintendo really start to push the boundaries of creativity before they became, that was the the beginning of their true quirkiness shoulder buttons on the SNES controller cool in and of itself. But it was that weird design controller that I think started a trend for Nintendo. Do y'all have any reflective thoughts on, on the direction of the company at the time to, to uh, being quirky or was it just, that's the main thing. That's the cool thing. I mean, they that was when they decided to stick with cartridges for better or for worse. You know, that was that was very clearly a sign of Nintendo wanting to do its own thing. And, you know, no matter what the where where the industry seems to be leaning, they have their idea and that's what they're going to go with. I think that it's um, it's an interesting sort of tipping point for that company because Nintendo was still very much in the rat race at that point, as far as power was concerned, you know, like they, they, they really, the N64, it was always touted that it was much more powerful, especially mm-hmm. for 3d than a PlayStation or Saturn. Um, but it also was the very beginning of them saying like what you just said, Phil, we're going to do our own thing. Yeah. Um, and they kind of, they still, I feel like they were still hedging even with the GameCube. And then after that, with the Wii, they're just like, you know what? We really are just going to do our own thing. And I mean, I think I think it's the whole reason they're still around uh, as a console manufacturer. I feel like if they decided to try to keep up from a horsepower perspective, they wouldn't even be here this generation. Hmm. Uh, They would have gone the way of Sega. I think I don't think Sega ever had a chance because they were in terrible shape by the mid 90s anyway. But um you know, I think Nintendo would have gone that way had they decided to keep playing the horsepower race uh, right through the 2000s. That's a good point. Mm. That's a good point. Uh, CJ, any thoughts on that one? I mean, I think it's possible. I think Nintendo, even back then, like every move that they made, they, except for, I guess, the SGI chip in the N64, they were trying to go with as accessible off the shelf uh hardware that they could so that they could sell it at a profit, right? There's all this talk about how video game companies sell hardware at a loss. And that's true for most companies, but not Nintendo. And I I feel like their stance is always like, what can we do uh with the material that we have? Like they're even though they're a wildly successful company they don't really ever act like it. They're always just going to do what they're just going to, they're going to do their own thing no matter what. And that's part of the reason why I like Nintendo's games because they are, they always do something completely unexpected. Hmm. Like, and I think that's what makes them fun to follow. 
You mentioning the SGI chip made my mind jump to the FX chip on the Super <laughs> Nintendo. Yeah. And then to the various elements that uh, Sega used to try and boost its power with the 32X and the, and, and whatnot. Um, there was this weird time where, and talk about preservation, like they try, the companies tried to boost their unit's capability by way of, of the game itself, not on the system level. And then there was a weird in between there. Uh, that to me has to be a, a weird method of retro gaming to look back on. Definitely leads to a lot of cables to plug in when you want to play one of those games. <laughs> well, during we do this after show on Player One where we sometimes read old magazine reviews, and it's funny how often it comes up like this game is 16 meg and it only has four <laughs> levels. Like, how can that be? <laughs> Or something like that, where, yeah, they're looking at the technology as a storage medium rather than yeah. pure performance. <laughs> and they, they interestingly don't hold up. Like, if you go back to play some of those FX chip games, oh, uh, no. it yeah. does not some hold up. Oh, <laughs> some of them do. Well, tell me. It's a retro show. So no. tell me, which ones do well? I, I yeah, I don't know. I, I, Star think Fox, a lot of, yeah, I think a lot of love around Star Fox is... I don't know. Nostalgic. Nostalgia based. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> stunt race FX also. Is... Oh, God. I didn't like stunt stunt race <laughs> no, FX back in the day. Yeah. My yeah. God, I got gold medals on like all the tracks. Same. <laughs> stunt race Man. FX. Yeah. And I have not yet played because I think now somebody put that in an emulator and corrected the frame rate so that you can play it at 30 frames a second instead of mm -hmm. the 15 frames or Oof. whatever it was before. But I don't want to play that way. I want to play the 15 frames version. You know, you know what? I think uh, going back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, because you just brought up something that I wanted to talk about. Um, <laughs> you playing Stunt Race FX and getting golds on everything at like 10 frames a second or whatever that game yeah. moved at. <laughs> like I, th I felt that that game was unplayable. But I was talking earlier about my kids and how, you know, what if they get nostalgic for something they played on their phones? it's such a different world now too, because man, they move from game to game so fast. Now yeah, that's not true. something that we did when we were that age. I mean, we rented yeah. games, but yeah. you know, you, you, if you got stunt race FX, you were playing stunt race FX. Mm -hmm. Like you right. weren't Darn getting right. another five games in an hour. Well, yeah. So, yeah. You know. I mean, that's one of the, the things today with, you know, playing mobile games and stuff. We, we didn't move on from game to game to game because it was like, we got a game for our birthday and that's it until like Christmas or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so get yeah. the most out of it. Now it's like, okay, I'm playing this game on my iPad and now I'm bored. I'm going to go play this other free game on my, my iPad. And you can, you can yeah. bounce through a dozen games in a day. And it's the same on the consoles now too, because I mean, you know, oh, with, yeah. with some, with stuff like game pass and uh, yeah. PlayStation, what is it now mm -hmm. network i don't remember yeah PlayStation, PlayStation now, now. Mm -hmm. uh you know you can again you can jump from game to game games yeah. that would normally cost almost a hundred dollars oh yeah well, up here yeah. <laughs> so you know they're they're I very mean, disposable it yeah it changes the value of a game uh on a couple levels right not just like the the financial value but the intrinsic value i too went through stunt race fx um i had more time and less money you know when i was a kid yeah. 
and that that played a big difference but also like i'm playing through death store right now um on xbox and that is one of the best games i think i've ever played uh in its genre it's just that good and it's one of the best games of the year and surrounding every review that i've seen or heard is the question well why isn't it in game pass it's xbox and pc pc exclusive hmm game pass a subscription service is changing what people are, are expecting sure. to get yeah and, and that is a, a weird trend for better or worse you know for better or worse it's a weird trend around it because you don't you're right you don't just stick with one game nope, at all. not anymore not at all it's also a good example of uh i think being retro informed because that game captures a lot of the spirit of top-down zeldas and hmm. It feels like, and I've I've said this. It does what Nintendo doesn't. Now it does what Nintendo. Was that the slogan? Yeah, there it is. There you go. I was embarrassed to make the slogan at first, but it really is doing what Nintendo refuses to do. But every time I say that out loud, I think it's me that's changed, not Nintendo. Nintendo is still making games for for people that are twelve, not. Yeah. 36 and 46 and so on. Here, you know? Here's the the way I think of it is not Nintendo refuses to do X. It's that Nintendo doesn't feel like doing X. Right. <laughs> it's not it's not an out and out refusal. <laughs> they probably didn't even consider it. They just do they do what they feel. But I mean, I think that's true for anything. And, and when you've got some very, especially where nostalgia is, I mean, we've gotten to the point in popular culture, too, where they trade on nostalgia so heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've, they've been selling your memories back to you for years, but especially once they realized they could profit off of it. But like you hear that a lot for long running series. And there's one series I can think of in particular that I don't think I'm going to name for different reasons. Um, sitting in his chair behind the no camera, but like <sighs> in general, you'll have very long running series where people will complain. I think Zelda is a good example. Like, you know, well, this isn't, this isn't my Zelda. This isn't mm-hmm. the Zelda I remember. 35 years ago right. and it's like it's because you're you're 35 years older they're not making it for you anymore like you know they're not they're not they're not trying to sell to a increasingly smaller crowd they're trying to get new players in you know so i mean that's right the great thing the the thing i always love when a new zelda or like when the skyward sword remaster came out and there's like a tutorial section at the beginning all of the oldsters say you know i've been playing zelda for 35 years i don't need to know how to swing the sword blah 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 and it's like well yes but you have to remember for somebody out there this is going to be their very first zelda game yep yeah yep and so you have to make it as accessible to that person as you make it accessible to the people who have been playing it for 35 years Hmm. Have you ever got you guys ever done the thing where you think, oh, I got this. I've played these games for that long. You skip the tutorial or you just blast your way through it. And then you're you're playing the game. You're like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. You know, it's funny. I had that exact same thing happen last night. Um, I uh, I just picked up on. Uh, well, it just came out on Switch. I had a pre-order, of course, but it just came out on Switch was uh, Blaster Master Zero Three. Yes. And I'm a big, I love the Blaster Master series. Loved it since mm-hmm. the uh, the NES days. Speaking of, of games getting remade and remastered or like mm-hmm. modern day sequels, you know, we're getting the, the third uh, uh, sort of, yeah, sequel soft reboot of Blaster Master. But so I picked it up and I was just like, I'll just pop this in for a minute. I just want to 
play it for just you know five minutes just to see what it's like and then i'll i'll really dive into it after and it starts off and it's oh it's talky it's a little little too talky at the beginning you know a lot mm-hmm. of just I, yeah I don't, it's blast master i don't care about the plot right. you know <laughs> i want to drive around in my tank and i want to shoot stuff so mm-hmm. i'm just tap 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 skipping past all the dialogue skipping past all the dialogue the game starts i'm in my tank i start driving to the right shoot a couple monsters another text box comes up and i'm just like oh come on just tap 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 i get another screen over shoot a couple more monsters another text box comes up and i'm skipping 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 and then all of a sudden i'm i find myself uh there's a, a giant kind of blob thing that's spitting out enemies at me and i'm sitting there just firing at it trying to destroy it and it's just not blowing up and it's blocking my passage i have to destroy this thing to get by i have no idea what i'm supposed to do i'm just like oh, maybe i maybe i shouldn't have skipped all that text uh, there's exactly. probably something i have to do to to destroy this thing yeah but uh I'll, I'll have to go back and start it over again now well in back in the day it's exactly what you'd have to do every time now you oh, can yeah. pull out that magic rectangle yeah. and look it up and that <laughs> has changed too yeah shout really. out to blaster master though i love i played that first game well, blaster master zero on switch when that yes. came out and played through that i bought yeah. it again on xbox with the shovel knight dlc played it for like 10 minutes appreciated it for seeing a cool character in there and <laughs> going back to it um shovel knight also a cool example of retro inspired oh yeah you know absolutely yeah, love those games mm-hmm. love those games uh gents what games we had a lot of people write in with games that they suggested uh as wanting to come back or be remade or whatnot um the games like adam leonard wrote in ridge racer i have such fond memories oh, yeah. of ridge racer uh from the ridge racer mm-hmm. to <laughs> playstation analog controls for the first time mm-hmm. when you guys think ridge racer anything special or fun come to mind there the arcade the arcade and i didn't even know it was an arcade game what yeah so oh yeah and and that's that's what got, i saw that tweet and that got me thinking about this because i hated ridge racer on the playstation i could not control it i just couldn't get used to um the the digital control i didn't have a, an educon so i didn't have an analog control for it controller for it and i loved ridge racer in the arcade hmm. um there was an arcade uh, the next town over that our, my friend and I used to go to, and they had a big deluxe Daytona machine and a big sit-down Ridge Racer right next to each other. And when I went there, that's what I played. <laughs> wow, those two Reg machines. heaven. <laughs> oh, it, it was. It was amazing. And I don't believe there's ever been another arcade port of Ridge Racer. And I would love to yeah. see that. Um, just arcade perfect. I don't even care if it's a remaster. Just make it like like what they did with daytona a couple years back Hmm. you know maybe make it widescreen but otherwise i think more people have nostalgia for the playstation version of i'm sure they do or you do a double pack and no i'm sure they do i'm sure they do but that's the thing i think anyway yeah ridge racer is definitely on my list but it wouldn't be the playstation game but that sort of goes further to that got me thinking um i would love to see and maybe this would make it make more sense collections of late 90s hmm. uh, 3d arcade games from especially from yeah. sega and namco because they were doing amazing things in the arcades and we got great home ports of a lot of it 
mm-hmm. you know, like Sega Rally, its Saturn version is incredible. Um, the Tekken games on the PlayStation were incredible. Mm. You know, the Virtual Fighter 2 was amazing. Like, those ports were great. But I would love to see the games as they looked in the arcade. And then also in that in that way, like, give me, well, not light gun support, but you know what I mean? Give me support for different peripherals. <laughs> Let me hook up a, control, a, a steering wheel so I can play Ridge Racer and at least make it feel like it was in the arcade and stuff like that. Like, I would just, ah, oh, I would love that so much. Mm. The, the arcades are... It, every now and then you'll see something pop up like when they did the da- the Daytona uh, release on digital um, a while back, which made my heart sing. But then nothing else happened. You know, like I wanted to see more and it just never seemed to happen. Yeah. Do you think it I doesn't happen? I didn't know because... that was an arcade game. I'm sorry. I, no, I really didn't. <laughs> oh, wow. I really didn't. I knew Daytona. Daytona, but not yeah. Ridge Racer. I don't, I don't think I ever played. I mean, I I was aware it was an arcade game, but I don't think I ever played it. Oh, yeah, man, I, I definitely game. didn't. Yeah. The best experience I have of Ridge Racer I came from a demo disc uh, from one of those old PlayStation Undergrounds that, or the magazines that always sold with discs, which were mm-hmm. my favorite yeah, things yeah. to buy. Because um, I couldn't afford a lot of games, but I could always afford a demo disc, five bucks or whatnot, you know. Um, the Ridge Racer, I want to say it was three. It was yellow. And yep. R3. It was R4. Yeah, that's R4. R4. Yeah. You're right. R4. On a... There was Revolution, Rage Racer, oh, and then R4. Yeah. It had the analog sticks for the first time on DualShock. And I remember the first time I used DualShock, I think it was Ridge Racer. And that blew my mind as a kid to... to two joysticks on one controller Mm -hmm. and then steering a car with a joystick. And it felt distinctly different from the N64. That is a a great nostalgic memory there. Yeah, Uh, for sure. Uh, Let's see. Somebody else wrote in about uh, James study wrote in about the Adams family game boy game. You don't have to talk specific <laughs> for the Adams family. That's but... weird. I have a lot to say about the Adams family game. <laughs> Do you really? That, that's yeah. the main thing I wanted to talk about today because, you know, there were a lot of games on that Game Boy, but I think the best is probably the Adams. No, I have never that played that game. I've never well, played. I think it's interesting, though, like to think about handheld games in terms of retro re-releases because on the one hand, you have konami did like uh, has done a couple uh collections that include like game boy games mm-hmm. and of course nintendo uh did the Link's awakening reboot um but handheld games in general i think get a lot of get overlooked mm-hmm. yep. for remakes and re-releases like i'm specifically thinking of donkey kong 94 and yep. Mania from Nintendo. Uh, <laughs> like some of the best games I think I played on uh later Game Boy um are you know completely lost. Yeah. <laughs> like they hopefully Nintendo remembers that those games exist and re-release them in some form. Well they they but, uh, they did have the uh what the 3DS uh virtual console had a lot of, of uh the old Game Boy games. That is get. true. Uh, that is true. Certainly Donkey Kong and Mole Mania. I believe Mole, yeah, they, they Mole Mania is on there. You're yeah, right. yeah. And Donkey Kong. So, but I mean, that's those are trapped on 3DS right now. You can't yeah. play them on, on a on a you know TV screen or anything like that. You can emulate yeah. them. Well, and then also uh 
the the tweet brings up a good point about licensed retro games as well. Oh yeah, it's like yeah. those are even harder to have come back. I mean, Turtles and the Simpsons arcade game are you know two examples, but there are a lot of us who grew up with licensed video games as that's the thing that you got for Christmas right. and you have a lot of great memories about playing through the Adams family on yeah. game boy. And you never X, CJ. What's that? You big revolution X fan. Who is Huge Who revolution is X fan. I mean, come on. Well, and, and <laughs> you, you think of, and especially, I don't know what it was, but especially with the game boy, uh, maybe it was just because, you know, my age at that time where I was more prone to just be like, Oh yeah, yeah. It's a Simpsons game. I love the Simpsons. I want to play a Simpsons game. You know, yeah. They're terrible. Of course, you know, they were all all those NES and, and Game Boy Simpsons games were horrible. But boy, I played them. Boy, I, yep. I finished them, you know, and. Yeah, they're not good, but it would be nice to have the ability to go back and just kind of relive them on a on a on a modern uh, hardware, you know. But uh, yeah, they're no one's going to bother licensing bart versus the juggernauts yeah <laughs> and i think i think too though every now and then you you sort of get this glimmer of hope like when konami all of a sudden it's like hey we're releasing contra and and yeah. castlevania and some class and a classic arcade collection and you're like oh and like they include the game boy games oh my god this is amazing like, i'm so happy about this and you know that's great but I think there's a lot of other games that you're just never going to see because oh, those yeah. compilations make a lot of sense. Like Mole Mania is, is a fantastic example. The fact that yeah. it was released on virtual console in any form was a surprise. No. Um, yeah. But, you know, like I, I remember one of my favorite games on that system for some reason, it must have just I had it and I I didn't have anything else to play, but it was Cosmo Tank. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. You're never going to see that re-released. Who the hell's going to re-release Cosmo <laughs> Tank? You know, and, and how do you shoehorn that into some kind of collection other than it just being like a shotgun Game Boy collection? Right. Like, here's right. a bunch of games you don't remember. Here's Boxel and Cosmo Tank. And that was an Star Atlas Wars. game. Yeah. Yes, it yeah. was. Yep. Oh, man. It's well, also you know interesting. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, oh, please. No. Oh, well, uh, you know, when, when uh, getting ready to come on the episode, I'm, I was thinking back you know what games i would i would like to to play again that sort of thing um and forgive me if i'm stepping on a, a, a future topic here but um one of the one of the things that i was uh, you know my mind went straight to that oh, it'd be nice if if these sorts of things were available again is you know some of these uh, uh rare games and by rare mm -hmm. i mean hard to come by and not mm -hmm. uh not okay developed not like by replay, a, so. not, gotcha. not a not a not not a british developer uh made this game but um you know and, and and i'm thinking to like you know these these games for some of these older systems where the price has gone through the roof you know and some like if you want to play little samson on the nes it's a great game so it's it's actually a really fun game but unless you're willing to to you know emulate it or whatever and uh if you want to play like the original game uh you know it's it's over a thousand dollars to buy the cartridge that yeah. so it'd be great if you know i'd love to see a, a version of that come out or you know these these kind of rare and expensive uh games and then something i noticed was that uh one of uh one of those types of titles uh there's a there's an nes game called zombie nation 
It's a, I it's a that. yeah, it's a horizontal shooter. It's the one where you play as the giant head, uh, disembodied, yeah, samurai head, flying through cities, you know, shooting zombies and and monsters and things like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, <these laughs> graphics, man. Whoa, yeah. it's a wild <laughs> game. It's a wild game, uh, but it's 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 a hard to find game, and it, it the, you know the value of it is through the roof. Uh, my my copy's right over there. You can't you can't see it, but I, I got <laughs> You're my not on camera. I know, I know. <laughs> but um but uh they're actually releasing it. There's a, a it's coming out on Switch in Japan. Really? Later this huh. year. Yeah. I was I was browsing Amazon Japan the other day, <laughs> just seeing what what's there, what's coming out. And some company is re-releasing zombie nation just out of nowhere awesome it and it is it's fantastic and they're they're even doing like a giant collector's edition with all sorts of little bonus crap well it's the former jalico is doing that now they're called city connection and they actually have like quite a few of those sort of revivals that they're doing they're called they name themselves after the old after after the game that's right yeah that's hilarious yeah (laughs) because that game was was pretty popular in japan i believe I think City Connection, the game. Wasn't that their first? Was that their first? It was NES one game? of their first. I, yeah, I mean, it was certainly an early one. It was an arcade yeah. game as well. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that was that would yeah. that one I believe was made a pretty big impact in Japan. Mm-hmm. That particular yeah. game. So, is Japan better at preserving oh, video game history no. than I don't think we so. are? I mean, a lot of those a lot no. of those companies lost their source code too, or just never bothered yeah. saving it, right? No, but we had, we do have companies like you know City Connection, like the Hamster uh, mm. Arcade Archives. No, that are yeah, doing pretty well. What uh, is what are they? I, I I'm that's alien to me. What is oh, that? Uh, do you have so? Do you have a Switch? Yes. Well, they're they're on PS. They're, they're on, on everything. Yeah, they're on yeah. everything. Are they on the Xbox? Well, I think they are. Yeah, they're, they're certainly on PlayStation and Switch. Yeah, this company Hamster is uh, basically re-releasing a lot of old arcade games from Neo Geo classics to, you know, other stuff like when really kind of obscure stuff yeah. as well. It's not, yeah. it's called, it's the, the ar- mainstream it's the stuff, arcade archives series, arcade archives. That's, series, that's yes. the name. And, and yeah, I'm that's, with you. Yes. That makes perfect sense. Now I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Okay. And that's, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at their, I'm on their uh, website right now and, you know, it's it's stuff you may have heard of, like Frogger and Moon Patrol to and versus Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they released like the arcade Punch Out for uh, yep. with Nintendo, and then you know, really obscure stuff like Ben Bero Be from Taito. Remember that one? Remember that classic game? <laughs> no. Yeah, no. exactly. Doesn't but, everyone? But it's out, you know, <laughs> and and you know, it's it's great that it is. So. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I didn't know when you were said hamster. I should have known that. Did not. And when you said arcade archives, yeah. totally knew what you're talking about. And I think that happens a lot with you know. He talked about Dragon Strap earlier in the episode. I know that is Wonder Boy, right? And right. Sure. Super, yep. one of CJ's favorites, Super Mario Brothers Two. Totally different name uh, over in Japan, correct? Doki Doki Doki, Doki Panic. Panic. Doki Doki Panic. Yep. Right. And so that in and of itself. Uh, I think also must mess with preservation or people's ability to mm. check into older games because they know them by by different monikers uh, as well. Yeah, okay, I see your your link, uh, yeah. Phil. Man, yeah. I I would love uh, a a release on modern systems of Doki Doki Panic. 
with with the original. I've never played it. I haven't either. I've never played it's, it. Yeah, with... If you ever play it, you really appreciate how much Nintendo did to that because it oh, wasn't yeah? just yeah. putting it wasn't just putting the characters in. They they actually changed it around a, a fair mm. bit. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, because man, which is too. why they'll never release it. Yeah, officially here, probably not that in the Fuji TV license. But oh yeah, I'd love to see point. Nintendo revisit just the mechanics of Super Mario Brothers Two oh, because I think it just has a very interesting Mario style to so it. Good. It's such a good game. Yeah. I, I could not get into it as a kid at all. Well, because we got to so go polarly different <laughs> well, as a, as a 10 year old or a 12 year old getting the all stars, uh, Super Mario's all stars collection. Cause I never had Super Mario brothers two on Ness. Um, mm-hmm. just by way of my family, we just didn't have it. And I was so thrown back. I was like, what is this? What is such a different such, game? Oh yeah. So different. And then Super Mario Brothers 3 seems more back to traditional. And then included in uh, the collection was Lost Levels, which oh, yeah. I find out later was two in Japan. Yeah. Yep. You know? Yeah. It, that same problem with Final Fantasy, right? Doesn't there's like six is two is five is three. Yeah. Four or uh, two is four. Three is six. Yeah. Obviously. And then the other ones never came here. <laughs> right. Until much later. Um, yeah. That was I don't know, because I with with those, with that game. I was almost it was almost a trend with sequels on the NES for a while. The, the second game was was massively okay. different from the first. Yeah, you know, like yeah. Mario Two was so different, and Castlevania Two was so different. Yeah. Zelda, Zelda Two was so different. You know? Yeah, yeah. It, it it seemed like at that point, uh, game companies were not afraid to be a little more experimental within a series, just to kind of yeah, let's let's see what happens this time. We, I don't think those <laughs> games were quite the institutions. Those series were quite the institutions they were going to become too. Well, no, right? of course not. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was, it was, you know, let's, we did something great with, uh, change it up. with Zelda. Let's change it up. Yeah. When anyone got any new ideas, no one's going to yeah. want to buy the same game twice. <laughs> no. And games were sold differently too. a screenshot in a magazine, very different than a trailer on oh, YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. true. Well, I mean, at, at that point, you know, it, it, box art. But well, that—that's exactly what I was going to say. It was—it 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 was, was the box art, and it was the screenshots on the, the back. I didn't yeah. touch Mega Man for years was because of the box art. Yep, never same. tried it. The only yep. reason I ever tried the first Mega Man was because Nintendo Power came here, and Mega Man Two was in there, and it looked so cool. Yeah, I couldn't get it because it was always rented. And there's Mega Man with that terrible box out that I'd passed over a thousand times before at the rental store. It's like, well, I'm going to give this a try and yeah. then completely fall in love hey, with it. Hey, it turns out it's great. Yeah. yeah. They put that version, that box art Mega Man character in a fighting game a couple years yes. back. It was in uh, was the, it? the Tekken one, right? The Tekken Street Fighter? Was that or it? Street Fighter Tekken, whichever one it's called. I don't remember. I, I right? don't remember. I just Am remember I... being offended by by the look. I was like, this isn't Mega Man. God, what was that one now? now Hold I have to look on, it up. Yeah, let's see. Wasn't it one of those cross games? Was it like Tetsun? No. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's the, like, the, I think it's the Tekken one. I thought you said I mean, Tekken. I, I did say Tekken. The Namco game. Your, Street, Fighter, Street Fighter <laughs> cross, cross Tekken. Tekken. Has bad box art Mega Man. Okay. There you gotcha. go. Gotcha. Yes. Because he's in both those games. Right? Wait, what? <laughs> right? I mean, Mega Man's not a Street Fighter character or a Tekken character. Right? It's fair. Well, he's that is true. Character. That's good enough. Yeah. All right. Either way, we got to win the year of that's... Yeah, they did. Yeah, I guess 
yeah, it, it, it didn't really click with me, but yeah, I guess they did reach outside the street fighter, uh, character, uh, list to, yeah, yeah it was like, oh yeah. Guest characters. Cause they had Mega Man. I'm, I'm looking at some the street, Mega Man. street fighter cross tech and wiki. Now they had mm, guest characters, live including reading. bad box art, Mega Man, Pac-Man, uh, Cole from, uh, from infamous. Oh and wow! Then, and then uh, uh, I'm assuming these are just in the PlayStation versions, but you have uh, Cole, or not Cole, uh, Toro and Kuro, who are the little cat PlayStation mascots from Japan. Ah, I know those right, the characters. Demo show. Yeah, What's I up? know those characters from PlayStation All Stars. That's where I know. Oh that yeah, cat yeah, yeah, from. yeah. Exactly. That's funny. Yes. The uh, the crossover characters, the guest characters, and the versus stuff all made me think about Marvel versus Capcom, and I think Greg was saying Tatsunoko versus Capcom. Uh, yep. Blair Farrell wrote in talking about licensed games from back mm-hmm. in the day, which are almost all exclusively lost time, and that is almost yep. all exclusively what I played as a kid because I'm a big superhero nerd, big Star Wars nerd. Um, if it had superheroes in it, I wanted to play it, and I'm thinking about that old Avengers arcade game. That game, yep. Marvel vs. Capcom games, loved it. Some of those Spider-Man licensed games of yore were fantastic. Some of them were tragic. Um, <laughs> and, and boy, with the MCU being so hot up until at least you know the last movie of whatever phase, what Endgame, um, mm-hmm. it really would have been a great time to get that stuff back on the market. Yeah, and you know, I was there was one point where I was really hopeful about that. You see it every now and then, like the Simpsons arcade game being released digitally, mm-hmm. or when I think Ubisoft ended up getting it, putting a deal together with Konami, which I think we mentioned earlier about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. So every now and then you get like a glimmer of hope. It's like, oh, this can happen. People will do this, yeah. mm-hmm. but it must. There must be so many legal hoops to jump through. Well, about. even with Disney, right? Because they've done pod racing. On uh, modern yeah. consoles, they did uh, what a bounty hunter or what, what? What? Yeah, they, yeah, they, 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 they've done a few. Yeah, like Shadow bounty the hunter. Empire. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. They did. So there's, too, there's too. hope. Yeah, and yeah. I think I think it comes down new to hope? people Would being you say it's in... new hope. CJ, I said there is hope. I said, is it new but hope? He's making it's a Star. Not... He's making a Star Trek joke. Yes, it's old. Okay, come on, yeah, CJ. Yeah. God. I built a lightsaber last week, man. God. This guy's never going to live long and prosper. Let me tell <laughs> <No>. you, <laughs> dude. Clearly my cup is you. an OG motion picture. I oh, that oh wow! Yes. There you go. Yeah. So but, when you uh, put when you put uh, liquid in that, do you just have to let the camera rotate around it for twenty yeah. minutes? That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, just twenty minutes. God, that movie's so boring. <laughs> it is. Anyway, you tilt the you tilt the mud and the liquid just very, yeah, very slowly, slowly drips down into your mouth but but i i think the important thing is the people in charge of games at disney or whatever like being able to make that happen right and mm-hmm. we've seen glimpses of it i think there you can still hold out some new hope to uh <laughs> get it. that happening did it <laughs> he does not understand <laughs> he does not explain yes. it as you so would kind a of, child some kind of stargate reference or? yes <laughs> but but the movie not the tv show oh well yeah i mean i didn't see the tv show you know <laughs> you know you're talking about all these uh licensed games and uh how how they are lost to time uh potentially but i think uh one thing that we're uh forgetting about is the 
oddly effective uh moves that uh arcade one-up has made lately oh that's true i mean the simpsons they're releasing the simpsons game yep the the arcade game they mm-hmm. released the two yeah. ninja turtles arcade games they released the x-men <laughs> arcade game the the old star wars arcade games they they have been successful enough i guess that they can go after these how are they able to do that i don't know <laughs> i don't know I feel like the konami side seems to it must be getting easier konami yeah. must be just ready to let you license whatever the hell you want from their side of those deals so then you uh, really only have to deal with well i mean you know fox is, that's disney is it, marvel yeah. that's disney star wars that's disney yeah they must so i feel like you know you get a good relationship going with disney you're, you're probably laughing i yeah. guess that's true I hope it's a trend, though, that continues because, I mean, I, I oddly enough went to Disney World last week and they have this weird thing where in Florida, mm-hmm. Marvel characters still belong to Universal. Yes. Uh, huh. But but everywhere oh. else, it's Disney. Right. It just so there's a there's just rules. About what just they like can in market. the just like in the parks, in the parks. Yeah. yeah so so like you wouldn't see uh, cast members walking around like a Spider-Man in Disney uh-huh. World in so, florida but you could see that over in california so the avengers because I, I i know so little about disney parks i'm not a disney park guy but i know that there's like the avengers campus is that in disneyland then i think that's a california one because i okay. i don't know a ton either i just recently okay. bias of having been there right right um but but that licensing stuff is a minefield and yeah. and that x-men arcade one-up thing that that arcade game is on xbox 360 you can play that game mm-hmm. on xbox mm-hmm. 360 and i did a lot yeah and and i loved it but i i hope it's a trend of getting these things back because if there's one thing that we know is that people will pay for mm-hmm. nostalgia oh yeah you know? yeah and the video game industry knows it too Absolutely. for better or worse <laughs> it's true i just wonder how long it'll take because when there's money to be made i think people want to make it it's more a matter of who does it go to and how do you get it done? Yeah. yeah. You know, I think that's the, yeah. the biggest enemy there. Uh, let me scroll through, make sure I've, I've covered. Uh, oh, here's a fun one. One, one last one just to mention real quick. Um, Froyo serve Froyo soft serve. Uh, he mentioned his nostalgia for the remasters of final fantasy. And he, in him saying that and talking about games being art, I thought about final fantasy, which cut this, this huge glimmer, a new hope, if you will, uh, of their old games being uh, Battlestar Galactic. Yeah, that's no, right. Babylon sure Five. That's, that's Bat- crawl. Oh, sorry. Oh, I feel crawl so reference. The Conqueror. Um, <laughs> that's an Ice Pirates joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Final Fantasy games. It looked like they were all going to be coming out in the most recent Square Enix event, and that everybody was going to get to play them. And then it was mobile only. And it was like whispered at the end. Yeah. And it was as if a thousand voices cried out in, in terror. Oh. And suddenly silence. Oh, Indiana yeah. Jones. Star Trek 3. <laughs> the Wrath of Khan. Oh, God. You mixed them like that. Got me. What that are you part, talking that about? That one went too far. Rock the um, Adrian's Revenge. <laughs> but uh, oh. I, I lost my spot. Whatever I said was very poignant. <laughs> um, I'm sure it was. I was, were, I was ready to. I was waiting to drop Battlestar Galactica into the conversation. <laughs> you were uh, saying yeah. the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the rest of us. I think is <laughs> the needs of Square Enix uh, profits on mobile outweigh that's the needs right. of uh, putting them on a console yeah. where people will buy them and play Who's them. To say with, they won't do that. Those though. fonts. That's true. <laughs> why not both? Really and truly, why not both? Hey, you know what? I'm not a big Final Fantasy guy. 
in that I I don't much you know I Final Fantasy is fine I just don't play them I just I just never really had time to play them but the the only Final Fantasy games that I've actually sat down and invested some time in and and really enjoyed talking about uh games being trapped uh the final fantasy crystal chronicles my life as a king and my life as a dark lord which were both WiiWare games back in the day and they were they were little kind of kind of like city building sim type rpgs and they were both a hoot and as far as i know they are you know like yeah like the konami rebirth stuff if unless you have a a wii that has them uh downloaded on there already they're gone That's yep wild. yeah it's, it's such a bummer because we are treated to so many good remasters this is where i'll kind of bring us to, to modern days that we've seen some really good collections of late the mass effect collection which well i don't haven't really gotten into it's great that it's there the remakes of resident evils two and three mm-hmm. uh some wonderful collections that, that we've talked about already it's funny to to watch this idea of is it a remake is it a remaster is it a re-release <laughs> you know and where it falls on that spectrum but we've seen it done right uh by a few different oh, yeah. companies of mm-hmm. late you know and and then similarly i guess i'm tangentially relating it to uh shenmue 3 which was a sequel made in the old old style, which was just doesn't age well. It didn't age <laughs> at all, right? And it's I guess the, the mix up of trying to bring retro forward sometimes fails and falls flat on its face. But I mean, mm. even with that, I, I think that people who loved those games for the most part probably still enjoyed Shenmue Three. I wasn't one of them, um, but you know. I could see why it was the way it was. Um, hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It was great to see that it finally got made just because I feel like Yu Suzuki is a, a developer and designer that kind of de- deserved to have his magnum opus finished, mm-hmm. whether for better or worse, you know? No. Right. Yet he didn't even finish it with three. Oh, didn't he? <laughs> Shit. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> he didn't. Delete that part. <laughs> uh. No, I mean, I think I'm more of the fan of a lot of the approaches that we're getting now from companies like Capcom, where it's like, take the game from the past and the mechanics and things that people liked about it and like modernize it, Mm -hmm. right? Like Capcom is done with Resident Evil, Resident Evil 2. And, you know, I'd love to see Konami do Metal Gear Solid. I mean, I think that's been a rumor for a long time, whether they're doing it or not. Hmm. Like, why not? Like, we have a Metal Gear collection? Yeah. Is it only because Kojima is no longer a Konami that we don't have this stuff? Or like, what's the holdup? You would think they, that that series, maybe they just need a figurehead to like take control of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's a series that is like, bring back Dennis Dyack, have him do it. Right. Let's not, okay. Let's not do that. (laughs) But, but like Metal Gear Solid four, I would say is one of the best in that series. You would never understand it if you didn't play the rest of them, which means you would need it in a collection. And it's only on PlayStation 3. There's, yep. It's not oh. in the Metal Gear collection, which was on 360. And there's this weird, some games are on just this platform versus that. Mm. And it's a shame. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, none of them yes. have Snake's Revenge, so they're not complete. <laughs> no, not, not a true canon. And But you've got <laughs> EA doing uh, Dead Space, which is not yeah. a 
total remake. It's a reimagining, which I think is a great idea. Yeah. Like bring that stuff forward because people are fans of that series or, you know, it doesn't any, any series from the past that you could bring forward and modernize, I think is going to be talk about huge. Talk about a company sitting on a ton of IP that needs to be re at the very least re-released, if not remastered. You know, like, where's my Road Rash collection or the Strike series or Wing Commander? Like, you know, man, oh, EA owns so much of the the IP that I loved back Mm. in the 90s. And you're just never going to see any of it. Although every now and then they'll do it like in the latest when the latest uh, maybe the most second most recent NHL came out, they actually basically made NHL 94 downloadable. They took all the old names out. That was great. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved it, you know, because it's it's such a beloved hockey game. But um, yeah, man, it, it's just funny that you brought up EA because I actually wrote a note down to, to bring them up <laughs> in, this, <laughs> in this episode. Because man, I, yeah, they they own so much IP that I loved and really wish. I mean, where's where's my update of the haunting, CJ? That's what I'm wondering. That's what I'm wondering. I just wish they would share their IP more freely. <laughs> They're trapped. EA is two companies right now in my mind. You've got the uh, microtransactions. I, I, I did. I really did. I had to say focus. He got me with the Star Trek one earlier. <laughs> Damn it! Now I'm off. Um, <laughs> they they did something with a video game and released it. I missed. That. I don't know. Oh, they're yeah. They're two companies. They got this this one microtransaction riddled abuse of power with the sports games. Meanwhile, they're kind of getting back on track with the the Mass Effect stuff, with kind of reorganizing yeah. Bioware, with with Respawn, mm-hmm. who is yet to make a bad game. Um, even their VR effort wasn't bad; just didn't land. But but mm. Respawn's just out of the park. And EA is this weird company. Like where do, where should you fall on it? And there's a they're starting to see the the validity in some of those uh, older IP. So I don't know, yep. Greg. Maybe false hope is false hope, but there's something there. Yeah. I think it's going to ride on this Dead Space remake, honestly. Like, if the Dead Space remake does well, I think they're probably going to be looking at some of those other licenses that they could bring back. But, like, even looking at plumbing the catalog for Wing Commander or Jungle Strike or Desert Strike or whatever, like, I don't know that those games would make the kind of money that EA needs. Oh, no, that's exactly now. why. Like, Don't that's exactly why they're not doing it. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. I totally get it. I'm speaking more from just, you know, a desire to have those released, not right, that I, right. I think it makes good business sense. <laughs> but if you put yeah. that ROM on Switch, on Xbox Live, and on PSN, I feel like you're going to make something out of it. I'm telling yeah. you, with the Wii Virtual Console, we flew just a little too close to the sun. That was the problem. But at the right. time, people hated that thing. And now you want that back. So, <laughs> who hated the virtual console? I don't think anyone hated it. What are you talking uh, about? People hated it just as much as they hate Nintendo Switch Online. No, they don't. No, no, they didn't yes. because they weren't drip feeding Bomboozle or whatever the heck it is they released this month. It's Kablooey. Thank you, Kablooey. Kablooey. They weren't drip feeding, you know, <laughs> the bottom of the barrel every three months. Like, it no, they weren't. Because it, it was weekly. And it was you weekly had so many different consoles and even computers on there. And arcade yeah, that's games. True. Yeah, that was brilliant. That's true. I understand why they don't do it because everyone realized there was more money to be made selling them piecemeal. But you know. <laughs> that's why we got a zillion yeah. streaming services these days. Yeah, that's true. <sighs> that's true. 
I counted it up a few months ago. I had like 11 subscriptions across oh, all no. types oh, of no. medium. Yeah, like comics. Could spend more on uh, streaming services. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty much it. Oh. But there's so much value there, guys. I'm missing <laughs> out if I don't get it. <laughs> oh. That's the name of the game. Well, gentlemen, I think that is a good time to, to start closing us out. Uh, any final games that you want to put in a listener's ear that needs to make a return, remaster, remake, re-release? Any final thoughts on a game that you want back or a franchise you want back? We need to be able to play Guitar Man yes. on new systems. And we need to, uh, to get Klonoa back into action. Klonoa 1 and 2. And I recently uh, was bugging uh, Mike Micah was on Twitter uh, asking what games uh, his company should be doing. He's a he's a uh, uh, other ocean backbone, you know, the, yeah. those guys over there. They're doing some fantastic work uh, in game preservation. Uh, he was asking for, you know, what 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 are your dream games? And I I was certain to bug him that they need to do some sort of kid Nikki radical ninja collection. We need we need <laughs> to save Kid Nicky Radical Ninja for future generations. What? I, I, Radical Ninja, Mick. Oh boy! Kid All Nikki, right, Radical Ninja. Try it out. Get everything you need out of it, and then there's know. a there's yeah. It was an old NES game, and there were a few sequels in Japan. I own the arcade board for the. I don't have it set up in a machine, but I certainly own the arcade board. I know Nikki, this game, Radical Ninja. Okay, yeah. So Phil, okay. I was hearing Kid Mickey. Oh. Um, which is a very different game. That's that's, have to think. that's different. Yes, Kid <laughs> yeah. Nicky with a with got a, it with an N. Yeah, got it. No, yeah, I know this game. Okay, all right, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's good, but I'm saying I I loved it. Nothing wrong with that. No, nothing wrong with that. CJ, what did you there have you any more? Uh, yeah, for me, the the remakes or reimaginings I'd love to see are uh, Dead Rising One. Mm. Because I think that would be an interesting revisit with all of its uh, problems. Um, the Lunar series. Oh, yeah. And really anything for yes, working please. designs, anything that they did back in the late 90s would be fun to see come back. But Lunar especially. Vi? No, not Vi. <laughs> anything but Vi. Uh, Final Fantasy VI specifically because it's the first RPG that I ever finished. Uh, the Sly Cooper series. Would love to see Sony... Do a PS5 Sly hmm. Cooper game. That would be crazy. Um, and then uh, Zelda the Minish Cap. Because oh, I feel like man. a lot of people skipped that one. Such and myself included, honestly. And I'd love to see Have that you... revitalized. I don't think I've ever played further than like a, oh, the first man. hour and it's a half. so good. It's, it's easily one of my favorite Zelda games. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's tragically overlooked. Greg, I, I have a feeling I'm going to hear some racing games here. You are. <laughs> uh, no, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier. I would really love to see, uh, because we got a taste of it with Daytona, but I would love to see like a series of uh, arcade libraries really revisited, mm. um, especially from yeah. Sega and Namco. I'd love to see just like uh, System 1, System 2, and System 3 collections and, and mm. uh, whatever the Namco equivalent of that, like System 21 and 22 or whatever they called theirs as well. Um that that's really where my mind went and i will say too dear god let's make an outrun three finally please yes it's been long enough now i mean it's been Uh, almost 20 years since the last one (sighs) yeah 
We're ready. Isn't that a game stuck on a platform yep. that outrun? Mm-hmm. Well, because they yeah. had the Ferrari license. Yep. Outrun right. 2 had the Ferrari license, which was, when it came out, was great at the time because you got to say, oh, awesome. They got the Ferrari license. They can actually have real Ferraris in there. And now it sucks because they had the Ferrari <laughs> license. And yeah, they'd have to renew it. So, yeah. Yeah. For my uh, rampage was one of them, and Phil, you gave me new life. There you uh, go. You're welcome. Now that I know I can get, yeah, I had two days left before it goes <laughs> off. Games with gold. Oh, uh, I, I had pretty, I had pretty much abandoned games with gold at this point. Uh, so I'm glad <laughs> you know it's there. Um, but rampage and uh, Super Mario Strikers, the original yeah. on Wii, are two games that I really wanted back. Yeah, that is a great um, game. Yeah, the baseball game Mario was in was great too. Was it? Oh, yeah. I, it was really I didn't like enough. Mario Strikers Charged, no. but I, I liked the GameCube mm. one mm. a lot, and, and I've never played the baseball one. You should try it oh, out sometime. Mm. Okay. All right. Is it easily playable on modern systems? No. Dear Nintendo, get it <laughs> together. It'll play on a Wii. You know, remember, that was backwards compatible. That's right. So. Man. The, uh, the other games that come to mind, Star Fox 64. I want Star Fox 64-esque gameplay in a Star Fox game. I don't know why that eludes Nintendo. Yeah. Um, Extreme G. I really love the Extreme G series. Oh, wow. I remember Extreme G. Extreme G. Yeah. 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 That and Wipeout. Those were, were my favorite racing games. Anti-Gravity Racers, Future Racers were always fun for me. Hey, F-Zero. Let's get another F-Zero game. Right? <laughs> yes. Good Lord. I, I've chatted with the devs for uh, the Red Out series a few months ago uh and it was really cool to hear them and their love for for those games as well um and then uh, greg you'll like this i really want a sega saturn collection of sorts mm. remade in in a way because the saturn was always a game I, a system i wanted the mm-hmm. saturn and the virtual boy are two systems i always wanted and i never got them and mm-hmm. i feel like there's a there are libraries i'm missing maybe with the saturn more than the virtual boy but a way to access those games in a way that i might have remembered them would be cool yep. seeing Saturn era games mm-hmm. playable now is something I want. You know, I, I really do think it'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, it's a great example, and I feel actually I do feel the same way about the Virtual Boy because my experience with the Virtual Boy is literally the launch day games I played for about an hour, and then I never played one again. And I've mm. always said it would be so great, especially like um, when Nintendo released that uh, 3D Labo kit. Oh, yeah. Not that they would ever do this, but oh my god! Like put put the Virtual Boy games on there, please. They won't do it. Why would they do it? But well, why would they make cardboard anyway? Right, <laughs> that's true actually. But um, you bringing up the Saturn is a great point because of exactly what you just said. The Saturn is a great library. It was very unsuccessful, especially in North America. So I've loved to see people discovering it over the past few years. But you're right. So many of those games are locked in that system. The emulation, I think it's still getting better, but it's mm-hmm. not there. And I, any time that I stream uh, a Saturn game for my collection, most of, most of my viewers are just like, this is so cool. How, how have I never heard of this before? You know, um, and, and so many of those games would be that way for people. I think you're right. A Saturn collection would be incredible. Yeah. 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 All right, gents. Well, I think this is a great time to close out. Uh, if you would be so kind as to share your socials, let people know where they can find uh, your work if you're inclined to do so, uh, and where you want people to look for future content, player one or otherwise. Phil, why don't you go first for us on this one? Well, uh, my personal uh, Twitter account, you can find me at whimsicalphil. Uh, 
mostly pictures of toys and poop jokes if uh that's your bag uh and of course uh you can hear me weekly very weekly on the player one podcast you're friends with i think the devil um (laughs) he's been on our show a few times that's weird yeah 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 it's my favorite when he shows up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's my favorite. He'd He's show my favorite. up more often if CJ would agree to uh, to do the uh, post uh, record process. Uh, we can't voice. afford that guest anymore. It's <laughs> crazy. It's crazy. Oh man, yes. CJ, why don't you let people know where they can find you and what you're doing? Uh, you can find me on Twitter as Superpack. That's S U P E R P A C, and I also host the Player One podcast every week. You can find that at playeronepodcast.com or at p1podcast on the Twitters. If you'd like to subscribe to the Player One Podcast, you can do so by visiting <laughs> no. Player One. What, what? Wrong show. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Jeez, sorry. That's one of my favorite parts. Oh, boy. CJ, what, what episode are you guys up to right now? Oh, 769 is what we're recording. Nice. Uh, <laughs> oh, I get it. This I, weekend. I get it. Here we go. An yeah. hour and 42 in. I got a nice. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. And uh, Greg, let us know where we can find your content. And uh, if you want to plug some of that charity stuff you do as well. Cheap. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow. no, I, I definitely will. So you can find me on Twitter at Seward, my last name, S-E-W-A-R-T. That's also where you can find me on YouTube, where you will find episodes of Generation 16. And also my top 100 games video, uh, if you have an hour and a half to kill. Also um, cheap. Also cheap. Uh, you can find me on Twitch TV slash Stuart three nights a week, Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. I stream um, usually retro games. And all of that is done in support of Extra Life and the IWK Health Center here in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where I've been raising money for the last 11 years. Uh, and uh, aiming to raise another $10,000 this year. So please consider stopping by and uh, making a donation. Yes. Xbox listeners, you should drop in there and suggest he play Sea of Thieves because he loves it. <laughs> I will I will definitely, if you, you know what? $10 donation. I will play <laughs> wow. Sea of Thieves with CJ. Hold on a second. Let me get out my wallet. Yeah, really. Oh, Do it up. Goodness. Oh, CJ. goodness. CJ just bought himself a game play that pirates of the caribbean content you might actually that's i do actually, need to play that. that that's legitimately fun after having ridden the ride uh last week specifically <laughs> to to see what was comparable it, it was kind of neat it was kind of cool nice all right you guys can find me on twitter at insipid ghost and of course you're listening to the xbox expansion pass it's available on all your podcast services including youtube where you can find the audio files as well that's it for me take care guys 